0: Um, I come from a uh, more uh, chocolate church context, if uh, you know what I'm saying. So for me, one thing we do in the black church is we, we do what we call giving honor. Honor is really, really big in the black church. And so I want to start off my message by just giving honor to, first of all, my Lord, Savior Jesus Christ for saving me from the wretched man that I was and still am. He's still, he's still a, a work in progress. Uh, also, give an honor to all of our elders and other leaders. I want to go ahead and give you all a round of applause. Thank you for faithfully serving here. And also to our lead elder, Pastor Brian. Thank you for believing in me. So, Like I said, emotional day, emotional day, so thank you. Um, today I want to talk to you about um, looking up. And what I mean by looking up is not just Physically looking up, but also spiritually. Um, when I think of looking up, I, I, I was in, anybody remember 9-11, where you were, for those of us old enough in the room? Remember where, I guess something about those moments in life, if you were around for the, the Reagan assassination or even, um, you know, JFK being killed. All those things, you know, significant moments are etched in your memory, right? And 9-11 is one of those moments, and, and one of the stories that came out of 9-11 is one of the stories of um, uh, an EMS worker. His name was Adrian, I can't remember his last name. But anyway, he, he was off-duty. I think his last name was Walsh, Adrian Walsh. He was, uh, was off-duty. And so he was just living his life, just going about his day, and all of a sudden all the fire companies are rushing towards the World Trade Center, And he's off-duty, and it's like, they need everybody. And so Adrian gets dressed, puts on his firefighter uniform, and goes to the destruction. He rushes towards it. And here it is. This building is smoking. And as he's turned, you know, focused in a different direction, a plume of dust, 100 feet tall, starts to barrel towards him. And I can only imagine seeing a hundred foot wall of dust coming at me a hundred miles an hour. The sense of awe and wonder, terror, fear that will come across me that if I saw that, like you don't know what's inside or on the other side, you just sit there and stare, right? Or or, or just start bucking, right? Start, Start running, right? And so he's looking up. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter six, we see the very same thing. I'm gonna give you a moment to get there, but we're gonna look at the vision that Isaiah had of God, and we're gonna pick up in verse one, and I'm gonna read to verse ten. If you got there, say I got it. I got it. Amen. Let's roll. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they will call to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And a good note there. And if we pattern our lives after the angels, the covering of the of the face and the covering of the feet is an act of worship. With one set of wings, they worked, and that is a good example of we should be worshiping twice as much as we work. Amen. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I cried. I am ruined. Shall I send, and who will go for us? And this is what I kind of want to key in on. And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this to the people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear and see with their eyes, hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn to be healed and it is my prayer today as i go into my little brief message that we hear and we see what god wants us to amen let us pray real quick lord thank you your word is sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb and lord we just pray that our hearts and uh, our minds our ears spirits are receptive to what you're going to say don't need to hear from me lord I'm just a frail, flawed man, but you are mighty. You know what the needs of every person in this room is. And regardless of how successful or how I fail at preaching, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you fill the gaps. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name and all of God's people say amen. So, looking up. This is the this is the the you know the, the the prophet Isaiah, and he gets this vision. And could you imagine, like, not imagination, but you know, vision is just as I'm seeing and looking at you guys right here to visibly, tangibly see God. And Isaiah is struck by God's holiness in light of his own personal sinfulness. And so that is the 100-foot-tall the dust of smoke coming at you moment for Isaiah. He is sitting there looking up at God, and he is amazed at the power and the majesty of God. But here's the thing about God. He, he, he could, of his own volition, of his own power and might, do what he's asking Isaiah to do. God God, God can make it happen but God does this thing that one theologian says he draws he draws straight lines using crooked sticks I'm one of them God has a way of taking flawed messed up people and doing great things through so I don't ever want you to think to yourself that I oh I can't do this because I don't have that education and I'm not. No, God uses the foolish things of the world to confine, confound the wise. Isaiah's is looking up and God says, go. He doesn't say, just stay here and rebel in my majesty. He says to Isaiah, I have a work for you to do. That is within the character of God. For some reason, he just doesn't allow us to just sit around and twiddle our thumbs. I wish he would. I mean, like, it'd be cool if, if we could just all just worship him from the comfort of our recliners. But God has a tendency of saying, I have work that needs to be done. And that work, since the Garden of Eden, was to turn around the 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 impact of sin that the grip that sin has on our world the way he does it the way he chooses to do it is through people being sent all right we see this in jesus we just celebrated the first advent jesus from the the father son the holy spirit they were in communion for all eternity, past, present, and future. It's you try to wrap your mind around it, it's like throwing uh, a napkin on a building expecting to cover it up. You can't even fathom what that means. The sun gets sent into a broken, sinful world, much like the the EMS worker who comes in with. That, that doesn't run from the flames, that doesn't run from the destruction. Jesus goes into the creation that he, that when, when the word says that God said, let there be, Jesus was there. He, he entered into his own creation, not running from the destruction, but running towards it. And isn't that good news? That is good news that Jesus would run towards the flames, towards the destruction, To save you. He could have easily let you just perish. The EMS worker said, you know, like he was sitting there, he was like, man, like this this is all coming apart. And he said in his mind he had to draw a line between those that were dead. And he had to just forget about his friends that died in the building. And he had to draw a line and focus on those that were living because those that were living was his fuel to press through the destruction. And Jesus does the very same thing for us. He goes into, he presses forward, because not out of a sense of duty or obligation, which are great things, but of, because of love. Love is his motivation. Motivation. Love should be our motivation. Why we're going into a sinful, broken world that desperately needs love and and hope, it should be our motivation to to share that love with other people. Then we go to John chapter 16. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'm about to wrap up. I'm I'm not going to be in front of you long. Real quick. So, talking to his disciples about his crucifixion he says this in John chapter 16 verse 6 through 8 he says rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things but very truly I tell you it is for your good I am going away unless I go away the advocate will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you when he comes he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. <clears throat> um, Newsflash, flash, all right? Just let y'all know, just being honest, it's not my job to convict you of your sin. If I convict you of your, if, if I, all I, all I can do is like, say what you're doing wrong, you may feel shame and guilt, you may have the, sh- the 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 you know you want to behavior modify because you don't want to let me down. And I think we've done that in the church a little bit, if we're honest, right? We want people to feel guilty about the things they do, we want them to act and do right. But it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict, not me. I used to I I, I did I did twenty years in the military, and I spent over ten of them with the Marines. And one of their sayings is, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, we, we, we don't we don't decide who goes to heaven or hell. We just set up the meeting. All right. <laughs> and so and so Marines, you know, they, they, they take people out and they, they set up the meeting. But my job isn't to uh, send you to a heaven or hell that I don't possess. My job is to merely start the conversation between you and Jesus. Let him do the work of conviction. If I can make you feel guilty, all I've done is probably made you afraid of me. But there's something about the sticking and staying power of the spirit that even when I'm not around to remind you of those things, that the Holy Spirit will continue to do the good work. Amen. So the Holy Spirit comes to the believers, empowers us, gives us gifts. We go out and we invade a a, a broken fallen world to be ambassadors of this kingdom of God. And we come to Acts chapter 1 verse 6 through 10. 10. Again, I'm going to be real brief, wrapping up. Another moment of looking up. Then they gathered around him and asked, uh, Acts 1 6 through 10, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The father has said by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Sounds like work. Sounds like going. And he said this. He was taken, um, a- after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid from their sight. They were there, they, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you to heaven will come back the same way. You have seen him go into heaven. That is heaven. Anybody ever seen like a space shuttle launch or a Starlink, all these different things? Like it's something mind boggling to just sit there and watch something just go into the sky. Like it's just defying gravity. And here are the disciples looking up at Jesus going to the clouds. That's that's crazy. Like that's so crazy. And we all have a tendency sometimes to just stand in places with our mouths open. Just sitting there, oh man, like this is so many And somebody had to come along, like, tap him on the shoulder. Bro, y'all got work to do. And we do. There's a work that God is calling us to do. He is calling us to places and to things big and small. It doesn't necessarily have to be so grandiose where you've got to raise $10,000 and go to Timbuktu to start a mission trip. It may be something as easy as walking to your somebody that lives into your house, their bedroom door. I was wondering if I could talk to you for a moment. And minister to that person. Sometimes I feel like those are the most beneficial mission trips. The ones where you get off your couch, put down your phone, and you start engaging your family. Amen? Oh, not too many amens on that one, sorry. Um, So so here's the pattern, okay? Get the pattern. The Father sends the Son. Son sends the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit sends us. Not because we're such wonderful people. Not because we came up with these great ideas. But somehow, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, sends us into the burning towers, the destruction. We we run towards it. We run towards our family members in struggle. We run towards broken relationships. We run towards that person who is not doing the right thing. We run towards it with total disregard for our personal well-being at times. Why? It's already taken care of. If, if you know that you're, you're, when you take your final breath, that your soul is accounted for, it's okay to run toward the destruction. Amen? That brings us to Brian. <laughs> he's not leaving us. Through the power of God's spirit, he's been sent. And even though it may not be, because if you read the book of Acts, when they separated, it was always crazy, wonky, and it like you, you see the, the flaw in human behavior when you read the book of Acts. And you're like, God can't be in that. Even with Paul and Barnabas, God can't be in that. Nope. God used Paul and Barnabas separating to further the gospel to the ends of the earth. And maybe it didn't happen in the way they had planned. Could have been cleaner, could have been nicer. But even, even in the midst of that, God's, God's will was done. Remind, we, we have to remind ourselves of this. God doesn't do things because of us or for us. He does it in spite of us. He uses. He uses even when we make mistakes. Anybody ever made a mistake in your life and marriage? And you turn around like, man, God still used that. Right? So as we, as we honor you today, Brian, I want you to know like we, we want you to feel sent. We want you to feel like you, you, you're, you're, you're not leaving or being pushed out or, or we're going dis- to no, we, we honor you. We thank you for the ministry that God has done through you and um, the power of the spirit that continues to send you like we want to send you out feeling blessed. So uh, right now before we go into the next part of our, 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 our service today I want us to go ahead and pray for um, for Brian as he comes up after me. Uh, but first, we're going to go to the video from the district superintendent, Dr. Tom Flanders. Good morning, Brian,
1: and everybody at Hope Community Church. I wish I could be with you today, but being that I cannot, I wanted to share some thoughts with Brian and Vicki as they anticipate their transition from Hope to mm-hmm. Agunquot Maine. The verse that comes to mind is in the book of Proverbs chapter 11, where the writer says those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's God's promise that if people live their lives committed to the church, to the kingdom of Christ and to the benefit of others, the Lord is going to provide whatever they have need for in the future. And so we have every confidence that that's going to be your experience as you make your transition north. Recently, I was talking to a couple who had done ministry in Maine and have since relocated to Florida, so they made their move in the opposite direction. And after having spent almost a quarter of a century myself in New England and doing a lot of ministry in Maine, I thought I'd add a couple of things to the list that I learned along the way. The first one is this, listen. Mainers have a lot of stories to tell, and if you'll give them opportunity, they'll tell you those stories. A good listener, is somebody who builds a lot of credibility with Mainers and really then gets opportunity when the opportunity presents itself to share a perspective of their own. But listening is a really important skill uh, when you do ministry in the Northeast. The second thing is that I learned to ask more questions than I did tell or offer advice. And as I asked questions, I learned things, and then I could lend perspective, if you will. The other uh, bit of advice that this couple gave to me recently was this. Hey, don't take offense easily. Uh, People in the Northeast are just straight shooters in Maine, especially. And they'll just tell you like they see it. They don't mean to offend you. And so you don't want to take offense easily. The other thing that they said to me is the winters are long, but it will only be as lonely as you allow it to feel. You should take initiative to connect with people through the long winters. Um, This is one that I really did uh, learn along the way. I can give advice, but I gotta find the opportune moment in which to do so. This was the most important of all though. Pray, wait, and see God do remarkable things. Uh, If I could tell you all the stories of ministry in New England and even in Maine, uh, you would rejoice with me at the good things that God did through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so I know God will be with you. We'll be praying to that end. And then I thought this was maybe equally as important. On icy days, drive real slow and wear shoe spikes. And there's a lot of truth to that. But mostly, Brian and Vicki, I want to let you know you're going to be missed dearly. You'll be prayed for. And we're enthusiastic about what God's going to do with you in your ministry time in Maine. Let me offer a prayer here for you. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. May it rest on Brian and Vicky in ways that are apparent and abundant and do remarkable things with, through, and among them and also among the people of God where you're calling them to live, move, and have their being in Jesus. All of it for your glory and their good. In your name we ask. Amen.
0: Man. With that being said, let's give a round of applause for our pastor, Brian, Dr. Brian Stewart. Thank you.
2: God wants to say to us today. Let me begin by uh, thanking you guys uh, for your generosity. Um, the elders and leadership team of the church um, have given us a, a parting gift, financial parting gift that was really generous. Uh, we've never experienced anything like that um, in our churches before, and so we really that. Secondly, um, I, when Leonard shared with me that you all would be sending us out, um, I want you to know that that resonated with my mind and heart and Vic's heart as well. Um, I've been accused of being kind of selfish in this transition of our lives. Um, and you can imagine uh going through a move like this affects... We've lived here 13 years, been in this church 12 years, and we have relationships and friendships. We have family. We have grandkids here. uh, There's a lot involved in making a transition. And uh, I I have to tell you that going where we're going, I would not just do because it's been a dream of mine To be the pastor of this church. That is absolutely true. But that's not enough reason. I was dedicated to the Lord in the church that I'm going to pastor. My mother sang in the choir. Just as an aside, um, you know, my mother lives in Merritt Island. She's 91 years old. And visited with her, and she she found this old hymn book written in 1939, which was the hymn book that she sang out of as a kid in this very church, and she says, oh, I just love this song, and she started singing. I've got to tell y'all something. I've never heard my mother sing in my whole life, <laughs> and she started singing, I've come to the garden alone. And I started singing with her. And for the first time in my life, I sang a duet with my ni- my mother. And then I got in the car to take her to a doctor appointment and to go to lunch. And she had the Christian radio station on in her car, Joy FM. I said, Mom, you're listening to Joy FM. And she said, well, yeah, yeah, I like the music. So to see what God is doing in her life because of this, but I have to tell you that where we're moving from the city of Portland, Maine, which is in the southern coast of Maine, uh, near L.L. Bean, if you've ever heard of L.L. Bean, it's just a little bit north, you draw a circle around that 50 miles, uh, and the town we're moving to is in that circle, there's churches there, but nobody goes to church. It's the most unchurched area in the United States of America. Fewer people go to church up there than any other place. So I have within my heart uh, an assurance from God that he's called us to go and make disciples. To share the good news of Jesus and the leadership of that church. Uh, recognize that when I shared that with them and echoed it as well. So you are indeed sending us to a place which sadly once, uh, at one time in history, everybody went to church, whether they wanted to or not, to now a postmodern environment where no one goes to church. So I want to share, I'm not going to read the passages this morning, but I want to share three passages of Scripture. And you can write down these verses and you can go and read them for yourself. Before I do, um, let me share uh, just something that I read this week that has affected the church and influences what I'm saying to you this morning. Consumerism turned the church into a service provider. People say, I want good preaching, I want amazing worship, and I want great kids programs. would we go to church if it was just a bunch of ragamuffin Jesus followers gathering around a table and trying to love God and love our neighbors? And that's the question, y'all, that we have to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves because the church in the United States has been drastically uh, affected by the consumerism of our culture. So I want to tell you three things. Number one, if you look in Matthew chapter 16, which you can do later, read verses 1 to 28 you're going to find that Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now I want you to notice something. He didn't say to Peter, you go and build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Those are offensive words, meaning offense, in, like in football, which you're not seeing much in the Jaguars today, but you know, Score points. That's Jesus saying, I'm gonna score points. I'm going to build my church. In that passage, he mentions the Sadducees and the Pharisees, a political and religious two political and religious factions. As Jesus is focusing, focusing on this and recognizing and acknowledging. That Peter realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus is saying to Peter and those around, I'm not going to build the church through religion, and I'm not going to build the church through politics. Y'all need to focus on Jesus, the Messiah, and Jesus will build the church. Amen. Secondly, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how there's been this division in God's family between Jews and Gentiles. All of God's creation, all of God's image bearers that are gathered there are divided because of culture and education and religion and all kinds of other factors in this instance through ethnicity. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that when he comes in and saves us by grace, not of our own works, lest anyone should boast, when he saves us, when he transforms us, when he makes us into a new creation, he breaks down the dividing walls and barriers, the things that separate us in the body of Christ. And where there have been two, he makes them one. Where there have been five, he makes them one. Where there's been a score, he makes them one. Jesus brings us together. And when you look at the church today, the church is not together. The church is divided. It's lining up with this and that politician, this philosophy and that philosophy, and we need to bring ourselves together to the one who breaks down the walls, Jesus Christ, the one who makes us one. Amen. And thirdly, and I think I will read this passage. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2. I haven't said anything new to you yet, and I'm not going to say anything to you now, but I want you to just hear these words about Christ and how he has served us in his suffering. Philippians chapter 2, I have read this passage 50 times to this congregation, and you know what this passage says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, if you've gotten anything out of this gospel this relationship with God, with Jesus, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather... He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus leaves us the model of himself. Of serving even unto death. Of humbling himself to bring the unity that is available to us in such a diverse and different world as I stated to you earlier Jesus came to to advance the church and to establish the church but I just want to close with some words to encourage you because sometimes when we look at the church today we get discouraged so I'm going to go real old school most of you will not recognize at all this poem that I'm going to read to you, but it's from an old song um, that I sang when I was young. And uh, it's an awesome poem, and it echoes my thoughts and feelings as I stand here before you, and I'll close with this. I almost said, and the word of God said, that this is just a poem, so fairly good. <laughs> This is, the, and it's, it was, the song was sung by the Gaither vocal band many, 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 many years ago. I'm not going to sing that. All right, I'll sing, I'll, I'll try to sing the first verse, okay? The first verse is, let the church be the church. Thank you. Let the people rejoice, or we have settled the question. We've made our choice Let the anthems ring out Songs of victory shout For the church triumphant is alive and well Now I'm going to (laughs) read and the print is little God is always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it's forced to flow underground. The purest water is a stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it's forced its way through solid rock. There have been some who, like Simon the Magician, sought to barter on the open market that power which cannot be bought or sold. But God has always had a people men who could not be bought, and women who were beyond purchase. God has always had a people. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, financially profitable. But God has always... Had a people. Yeah it's been gold plated. Draped in purple. And encrusted with jewels. It has been misrepresented. Ridiculed. Lauded and scorned. But God has always. Had a people. And these followers. Of Jesus Christ. Have been according to the whim of the times. Elevated as sacred leaders, or as modern heretics, yet through it all, their march is on. That powerful army of the meek, God's chosen people, who cannot be bought, murdered, or still, and on through the ages they, smart, they march. The Church, God's Church. Triumphant, God has always had a people. And you are his people. And do not buy, be like that church that has been described and is being described today, but be a people who keep your eyes on Jesus and go about the business outside of these walls of making disciples. To God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's the shortest sermon you ever heard from me, (laughs) but it's all right. Uh, We are going to remember what Jesus has done for us uh, by celebrating communion at this time. And so um, I'm going to invite Leonard by uh, the elders that are here, Romeo and Don, if you'll come, if you just join us up here, and you're going to sing. Again. <laughs> yep. I'm going to ask uh, Leonard to pray for the bread this morning, and I'll pray for the cup, and then
0: Um, Lord, we just thank you. Uh, as we, before we get ready to eat uh, food that nourishes the body, we, we, we want to partake of the food that nourishes the soul. The bread, which signifies the body that was broken. And as it was preordained and, and, and prophesied, that, that broken body, there's healing there. There's healing in, those, in, in the lashes. There's healing in the crown of thorns. Not just for our, our physical bodies, but also our mental as well. Shame. Feeling abandoned. Suffering. Anxiety. Sweating pools of just sweating blood. He's borne that for you. He's taken on that for you. Let us remember that in this time. Father God, as
2: we consider the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, we know that he prayed for us and he agonized for us in that garden so much so that he sweat drops of blood. And so as we consider Jesus' Reminded that none of us here have shed blood for him. And help us to keep our eyes focused on him. Because he has taken the crimson of our lives and washed it as white as snow. And we you and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Wait until everybody's been served and we'll lead you.